<clears throat> All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Gnostic, Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am Brother Marty Leeds, teacher of the mysteries, preacher of the heart. We do service every Sunday. We missed the last couple Sundays because we have had uh, internet issues, but so we're pre-recording. Uh, we're probably going to pre-record moving forward because we want to make sure everybody has a Sunday service. We've had the air quality issues and all that sort of thing. So um, moving forward, we'll probably pre-record, and um, so that way people don't show up on a Sunday and don't have a service because you need a service, right? That's what we're doing. So, and yes, we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. So come on back. It's a great group of people if anybody's new. Um, and Jennifer and I will be in the chat this morning and chatting away with you. So it's going to be good. Today, as you saw, we're going to do, this is episode 72 of the Sunday service, Matthew chapter 13, the seven parables of Jesus. So there's this is Matthew chapter 13, and there's seven whopping parables in this thing. And so we're going to go over all of them. And this one is going to be very, very good. So I hope you guys enjoy. So let's first start out with a prayer and then let's get on the road and get doing this. Heavenly Father, I pray that I do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time I will reap a harvest if I do not give up. I pray for an increase in my patience so that I can experience the fruits of my labor. I pray that I do not focus on things that I see. Instead, let my mind be focused on you, for you never fail. Amen. Okay, like I said, excuse me, we're doing Matthew 13, and Matthew 13 includes seven different parables. And so we're going to talk about what a parable is and, and uh, how there's a geometric metaphors for parables and all of that sort of stuff, and we'll get into all of that. And parable of the sower, the tares, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl, drawing in the net. We'll talk about all of those today. So let's just jump in right away. Matthew chapter 13 Numero uno, the same day went Jesus out of the house. House is an astrological term. So we already know that just through the language, um, when we see that there, it's like, oh, okay, well, we can recognize that when he went out of the house and in the literalist story, yes, he walked out of a house, but what is this referring to? Of course, things in the stars, and we'll see that all day long throughout this whole chapter, and sat by the seaside. This is all, once again, symbolic language to, to help you recognize where are you. You're in the waters above, and there's waters above, waters below, right? This is, of course, Genesis. God, let, uh, God, uh, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide waters from waters. So when we talk about the, the, uh, you know, the, the stars in the sky, when we talk about that big bowl of stars above us, as far as we can tell, that uh, according to scriptural, you know, is a is a metaphysical water according to scripture, right? And so the first thing that we hear is that Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and then the next thing is thirteen two, and the great multitudes were gathered. The multitudes, in 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 uh, in, in a symbolic sense, is what the multitudes of stars that are gathering around, and I'll show you that it's actually the Milky Way, unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Okay, um, the ship, as we've talked about many times before, is is the constellation Argo Navis, and this is at the Southern Celestial Pole, and I'll and I'll show you this in just a second, and um, it's a huge constellation, and it's what Noah's Ark is actually based off of is this constellation. You have Vela Pupis, which is a hilarious name, and Carina. Carina is the keel of the ship, which is the bottom of the ship. Vela is the sail, and then the aft or the stern is called the poop deck. Um, that's from the poopus, right? So this is the, that's basically the deck on the ship that where you do observation and that navigation and stuff like that. So these three constellations come together to form a big ship. And that's exactly one of the things that they are mentioning here. So he went into a ship and then he's going to, you know, and the whole multitude's down the shore and then he's talking to them. Okay. 
where this constellation is, is actually down by the lake of fire, or what we understand is the is the southern celestial sphere. And, I'll sh and so you can see right there in the upper left-hand corner there, what is that? That's Argo Navis. Okay, and so you can see Vela, Carina, and Pupis. That's the big ship that he's in. He's actually, that's the river of the Milky Way right there. So that's a, that's a big, big mass of stars, you know, that are, that are combined together that form that Milky Way. Okay, so he's on the ship and he's talking to the massive stars, the multitudes on the shore, if you will. So we've covered this before. I'm just going to show you this because we're going to revisit it when we, later on in this chapter, Argo Navis, this is uh, the southern celestial sphere. So when you look at the um, the sphere of stars that surround us, right, you go to the bottom. We'll deal with both the bottom and the top. So the northern, the heaven, and we'll deal with the you know the southern celestial pole, which would be hell, the underworld, if you will. There's a ship down there, and so that's where you know the southern celestial sphere. That's where we're that's what we're dealing with down there. So what's down there, right? Well, we've got the symbols of water and fire. We've once again, this is all an overview for those that are new or whatever, but. Basically, what do you have? You've got symbols of water. Symbol of water is a triangle pointing down alchemically in, in the alchemical symbolism. Symbol of fire is what? A triangle pointing up. So you have two triangles in this whole sort of area here, right? Okay, well, what's, it's, you know, this is considered the lake of fire, the underworld, the, uh, you know, the below the earth, right? What is below the earth? Hell, which is be considered the lake of fire. That's what it's called in Revelation and scripture. Right there, you have Aradnus, which is a river, and this river runs into this lake, and it actually forms a delta, and, that, and you can even see the end of that river, which is the river Aradnus, flows all the way down, represents the river Jordan in scripture, ends with that delta. So you can see right there. So you've got symbols of water, you've got symbols of fire, you've got a river flowing into this, into this lake down there. And what's on the lake? Well, a big boat, Argo Navis. What else is in that lake? Well, you can see some of the constellations. Volans, Dorado, those are fish. Dolphin fish, flying fish, you can look those up, like I said, review. Right next to those fish is the Nat Reticulum. And this is a reference to um, the 153 fish, the great draw of fish, and I think that's in John and Luke or something like that. But there it is. So that's that's essentially where they are in the story right now, right? Okay, now he's going to tell you a tale. Jesus is going to tell you his first parable. 13.3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. So we'll talk about, so pun intended. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to cover what a parable is, okay? Um, a parable is, now most people know what a parable is, but just for, just to be Henry David Thoreau, a parable is a succinct didactic story in prose or verse that illustrates one or more instructive lessons or principles, right? So it's a story that means something else. And from that story, you're supposed to extract a lesson or a principle, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, as told by Jesus in the Gospels. The etymology of the word parable, though, it's on the bottom there. You can see parable is allegorical or metaphorical narrative. So obviously you're telling a story and has a metaphor, usually having a moral for instruction, Okay, now um, the hermeneutic approach, as we know, is a fourfold approach. You have the literal, the moral, the allegorical, and the anagogical. So when you get to the the moral and the allegorical, the, the, you know this is it's parabolic, right? Then you get even further down into that, you know, into the the hermeneutic approach, and then what do you get? The anagogical, which would be the the mystical meaning, the the metaphysical sciences behind that, and that's what we'll be covering today. Parable, allegorical or metaphorical narrative usually having a moral for instruction. A saying or story in which something 
is expressed in terms of something else. So you're saying something and it's meaning something else. We, all, we basically get this from the Latin parabola, meaning comparison. I'm going to say this story, we're going to compare it to something else. What are we comparing it to? The stars in the sky, as we just said. He's on the sea, He's that's the waters above, he's in the ship, that's Argo Navis. When you look at parabola, do you guys know what a parabola is? I will explain it to you. A, a parabola is a mathematical term, okay? So when we, when we consistently say throughout the Bible that these stories have a mathematical geometric metaphor and they also have a constellation or a cosmological metaphor, right? A correlation that you're supposed to make when you read the stories. This is what parable actually means, as we'll see. It, it refers to parabola. A parabola is a curve commonly defined as an intersection of a cone with a plane parallel with the side, with its, which is basically just a wordy way of saying you basically got this curve, and I'll show you this in just a second. You go down in parabola, and what does it say? Well, it's hence uh, literally a throwing beside, a comparison, a parable, a juxtaposition. See parable. So when you look at the mathematical term of a parabola, it literally tells you in the etymology, see a parable. So when they're saying, as you'll see, he repeats, ah, oh, parable, parable, parable. This is how I'm speaking to you. He, This is Jesus specifically saying the words that are coming out of my mouth have a mathematical and geometric metaphor. And that's going to lead us to the stars above. So that's what a parabola looks like. Many people have, um, and I'll, you probably have drawn these maybe if... Um, in like a high school math class or basic geometry or something like that but you know you get your xy coordinates you put a bunch of you put a bunch of points on there right and your first point connects to the last point the second point connects to the second to last point the third point connects to the third to last point you know that sort of thing and what naturally you know forms is a parabola right and this is a parable now so this is this general shape and you can see it there right that this is you know this is what a parabola is so when we look at this cosmologically when we look at when we know that we're dealing with this celestial sphere and we say hey there's a flat stationary plane that's in the middle of that celestial sphere and that'd be earth okay and that's where we are just so you guys know when you stand on that and you look out into the heavens when you look at the bowl of stars the, the sphere of stars that revolves around us right what are those stars doing as they're traveling in circles around us right if you see let's say you know it's winter or whatever and you see orion and he's rising on the horizon what is orion going to be doing what is the sun doing what are the what are the planets doing they're they're moving in a par parabolic fashion above your head from your standpoint that's exactly what you experience. You experience the stars, in, in one sense, moving in a parabolic, parable fashion, if you will. Okay? So you stand there, see the stars move in, back down. That's a parabola. So Jesus is saying, the etymology is saying, compare the two. <laughs> They're directly related. And then Jesus is basically saying, everything I'm going to teach you is based on this. Everything I teach you. So, and he spake many things unto them in parabolas, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Who's the sower? This is something we've covered when we did the uh, astrology of the book of Mark, but um, because they, you know, the stories repeat in the Gospels, let's do it again. So, who is the sower? Who is in? Who is in that parabolic curve up in the bowl of stars above our heads? It's Buotes. This is the mythology of Bootes. What does Bootes mean? He is the plowman. Every day, Bootes 
dug up the soil in his fields to make rows for his crops because he was a sower. He was sowing seeds. There he is, Bootes. Arcturus is the, is the very prominent uh, star in that constellation. Um, a plow, he's the plowman, so a plow is a farm tool for loosening or turning up soil before sowing seeds or planting. It has been a fundamental tool for most of history. So we can already see that, okay, Jesus is in a ship. He's in the waters above. He's telling us about the parabolic nature of how those stars actually revolve around us and how we experience. And then he goes, hey, let's talk about a sower. Who's the sower? It's Bootes. So the next line is this, 13.4, when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. Who are the fowls? Once again, we just got to follow that parabolic curve and it's going to tell us. So who are the fowls of the air? And I'll, we'll, we'll pan back after I cover all of this and I'll show you it all on the planisphere so you can see exactly where we are, exactly what Jesus is talking about and exactly what this parable means. So this, the fowls, a fowl is, of course, a bird. Well, there's three birds or, or constellations that refer to birds right in the same area, okay? Cygnus is the bird, and it's the Latinized Greek word for swan. Aquila is, the, is Latin for eagle. So we've got Aquila, Cygnus. And then Lyra is a constellation. Now, Lyra is referring to the musical, you can see it right there, it's a musical instrument of a lyre. Basically, it's like a, you know, an ancient guitar, if you will, right? A harp kind of thing. Um, and it is actually the Lyra was often represented on star maps as a vulture or an eagle carrying a lyre. So basically, this constellation was known as an eagle carrying this harp. And it was even referred to as vulture cadence or Aquila cadence falling vulture or falling eagle. So as we're going to see, this whole place, there's a whole place in the sky that has birds, has fowls in the air that came where, where Wotis was sowing and they came and they ate these up. Aquila, the swan, or excuse me, Aquila, the eagle, Cygnus, the swan, Lyra, the eagle, okay, or vulture. Now, let's keep going. The next line is Matthew 13, 5. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. Very important language to point out a very specific place in the sky, and I'll show you all of this. Some fell on the stony places. What are the stony places? Once again, Jesus is speaking in parabolic curves. And so we have to realize that, hey, we got to point to the stars in the sky. The stony places is, first one is the keystone, which is an asterism, for those of you, a uh, little review, an asterism is a group of stars that help identify a constellation or where you are in the sky. So a very famous, one of the, the, the most famous asterism, of course, would be the Big Dipper. It's not really the Big Dipper, right? It's part of Ursa Major, but we recognize those seven stars as being like, oh, okay, that's where, then that helps us identify where we are in the sky, points to the pole star, etc., etc., yada, yada, yada. I don't like using yada, yada, yada because... Seinfeld, you suck. Anyway, the keystone is an asterism formed by four relatively bright stars in the constellation of the hero, Hercules. It's a stony places. The keystone, it's a very big constellation, in fact, and it's a trape uh, trapezoid-shaped pattern, and it's easy for observers to identify. Um, so what right, what's right next to this Hercules? Like I said, I'll pan out in just a second so we can see all of this. Um, right next to uh, uh, Hercules, this in the stony places, where the keystone is, right next to it is Ophiuchus. Um, Ophiuchus is the snake holder, and 
it has a central asterism and that central asterism is called the coffin. Okay, um, well, where, do, where, where are coffins? Where do you put a coffin? You put a coffin in a cemetery, right? And what's in cemeteries? How do you identify a cemetery when you drive by it? Gravestones? It's a stony place, right? So right next to this constellation is the keystone. So you have coffins which go into cemeteries which are loaded with gravestones and then right next to that is the keystone. And this is the coffin. You can see it's basically the central part of the central um, figure of um, Ophiuchus. I think I, I think I say this incorrectly. I say Ophiuchus, but I think it's Ophiuchus. But anyway, and Ophiuchus, Ophiuchus, whatever, is the serpent holder, right? But that central portion is the coffin, which refers to what? The, st the stony places, okay? Now, I just want to um, cover this real quick, and then we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll pan back and look at the whole thing. Some fell upon stony places, keystone, coffin of Ophiuchus, keystone of Hercules, coffin of Ophiuchus, where they had not much earth. There was not much earth there. Forthwith, they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. It says it twice. It's it's giving you, it's just like when a when a, a poet repeats a line. Why is it why is that poet doing that? Because it's trying to draw emphasis to something, right? The the Bible's doing the exact same thing here. Not much earth, no deepness of earth. What are they talking about? It must be, they must be referring to, some, to something in that parabolic curve, right? In this parable. Well, what they're referring to is the sower's void, Boote's void. And it's this place in the sky where there's not a lot of quote-unquote galaxies, right? And I'll show you this from an amateur astronomer, just so you, so you see this is not some NASA bullshit. So the Boote's void, it's, it's a void because it had no deepness of earth and it had not much depth of earth. The Boote's void is colloquially referred to as the great nothing. It's an enormous, approximately spherical region of space containing very few galaxies, or what they refer to as galaxies. And so there's this place right by Boote's where ain't much there. There's no, de there's no uh, what does it say here? Let's go right to the language. It was not much earth there. There was, there was no de de deepness of earth there. This is actually a... Um, amateur astronomer that took a picture of this whole area and you can see there's like one galaxy so if you pan to other places in the sky right you'll see more of those you know the spinning galaxies whatever the hell you want to call it right um and so therefore it's like wow there's not much earth there no deepness of earth so that's a so that line is referring to a place in the sky so now let's step back and look at the whole thing okay we'll get to the thorns at, moving forward but so right now we have the sower, Boötes, who went out to sow seeds. And he, flew, and he threw some of the seeds into this, on the wayside and the fowls of the air, the fowls of the air came and ate them up, did they not? Who are the fowls of the air? Aquila, Cygnus, and Lyra. Then Boötes, there's Boötes, there's the sower on the left there. Then he threw them into the stony places. And what's the stony places? Literally right by the, right next door to those fowls of the air, you have Ophiuchus and Hercules, which include what? The coffin. Where do you put a coffin? In a cemetery. And what's in a cemetery? Gravestones. And what's the keystone? That's your stony places. Okay? So all of this is parabolic. Get it? Okay. So now uh, the next one, it says it went to the, went, uh, he threw him to the thorns. And you'll read this. And when the sun was up, they were, they were scorched because, oh, did I miss one? Excuse me. Did I miss one? Uh, nope, I did not. 
So then, so he, he put them in um, uh, the stony places, and when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They weren't rooted. Those seeds that, that Boötes was sowing were not rooted. Pretty important. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Okay, well, what is the thorns? As we're going to see, the thorns is represented by Corona Borealis, which is the constellation between Boötes, the stony places, and the fowls of the air. What is Corona Borealis? It's a crown of thorns. It's a crown. So Corona Borealis, Corona means crown, of course, as we know from that whole COVID thing. Um, the crown, its Latin name inspired its shape, means the northern crown. Well, when we're dealing with crowns in the Bible, what is the, the you know, the crown, this is the crown of thorns, right? So there was a thorny places in which got all trapped in the seeds, okay? So now we have this whole first part of the parable here. Falls the air, stony places, and now we got the thorns. All constellations right in the exact same area. Then you finish off the parable and he leaves you with math. Now, please, I, I beg you to find any other church anywhere that can tell you anything about what this math means, and we'll explain it today. And we'll tell you exactly where you're supposed to place that seed. 13.8, but other fell un, but other of these seeds fell into good ground. What's the good ground? And brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Okay, let's now we like I said we this is the this is the verse in Mark I think it's Mark I think four I want to say chapter four four or five I want to say something like that and this is this is how it's said in that verse same math and others fell on the good ground and de- did yield fruit that sprung that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty some sixty and some a hundred just doing the basic math of that it equals one hundred and ninety thirty plus sixty plus a hundred is one hundred and ninety. Well, once again, this, re- this would require you to do your study in the seven classic liberal arts, especially number and geometry, and also to know thyself, because that's what us Gnostics do. We come to understand ourselves, because this is the temple of the living God. You guys recognize that, right? And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to get you to understand. Where do you want to place that seed? Well, you want to place it within you, because what is 190? 190 is the 19th triangular number. Okay, once again, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. You add that together just as it's shown right there, and what do you get? Some 100, some 30, and some 60 equals 190. What's 0 through 19? It's what's known as the vigesimal system. The vigesimal system is a base 20 system, and your body, your hands, your fingers, and your, your eight fingers, and your two thumbs, and your 10 piggies down there represent what? a base 20 system. 10 up, 10 up top, 10, up, 10 in the bottom, including the zero, which any base number system, you always have to include the zero. Like if you're dealing with the decimal system, it's not one through 10, it's zero through nine. Correct? Yes. So when we look at a vigesimal system, what do we have? Zero through 19, 10 up here, 10 down there. It's a base 20 system. You add, you triangulate, you create the Holy Trinity out of these numbers. And what do you have? Because that's what you do when you triangulate. One, two, three, four, all the way to 19, it equals 190. So the, 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 uh, the answer to the riddle, the answer to the parable is ultimately pointing to you. But some of those seeds that the sower 
episode, Wotis fell into the good ground. You. Put it right here, in the center of you. Now, um, now when we look at this cosmologically, what are we saying? So Buotis there, he went and sowed some seeds over there. And there was like, oh, the fowls got him. And then he sowed some seeds over there. And then, oh, they fell in the stony places and they were scorched up. And then, ah, oh, the, the thorns there, they all bound up, and you know, like all this sort of thing. But then he put those seeds where? In the good ground, which represents the human being and into the center. So in this parable here, when we look at this parabolically, where are we supposed to put those seeds? Polaris. In the center. And what does Polaris represent? Polaris represents the point in our cosmology where the soul travels up and out of the firmament, firmament and into total unity with God. Literally just drawn to you in the old Hebraic cosmologies. You know, the, the, you know, this is basically just like, hey, this is the terrarium of the earth. It's flat. There's like a, you know, there's this center there. And and then you go straight up and it's like, God, the heaven of heavens. And what is it? It's literally in the exact center of the dome of stars. And what is that exact center? It's Polaris. Jesus is teaching you about this whole thing in this parable. Okay. I want to go back and I just want to show a little bit more math. Last live stream, we ended Matthew 12 with what? We ended on 361, the monad. Well, this whole thing, 0 through 19, 19 squared is 361. I'll show you this again. So there, you just that symbol. Why COVID-19 and, and all of that? I wonder why, wonder why 19 hijackers. And then an invisible dude in a cave somewhere. These guys are such jackasses. Anyway, number 190, the, the, the divisors of 190 give you 360, which is just, once again, using the rule of Kolal is just one off from what? 361. 19 times 19 is what? 361. What is 190? Zero through 19. You see how all of these things are relating to one another? This is just basic math. This isn't even gematria. We're not doing any, like, no, this is just how the math works. End of story, period. 361, now I want to go back here. This is exactly what they give you in the parable of the sower. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. Just break those numbers down. 3 plus 0 is 3. 6 plus 0 is 6. And 1 plus 0 plus 0 is 1, giving you 3, 6, 1. All the math, everything, all the math that Jesus has that is given us leads right to us. Self, uh, you know, it's like self-reflective math, right? It's just refer, self-referential, I guess is what I want to say. Math. Um, so there's your Greek monad, which as we've talked about before, the monad in the Greek system is what? 361. Um, and we've talked about before, what does the monad represent? It's the, it reflects the order of the world. Okay. Um, let me just show you this. Here's another one. Um, 3.14159265.3 equals 190. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth equals 190. So constantly coming back to this number. Now, save for any gematria or any mystical math, 
That's exactly what Jesus is giving us in Scripture. So if you can if you can count to 19 and understand basic base you know base systems, you can extract that wisdom without having to do any mystical math or esoteric anything. Jesus is just telling you 190. What does it mean? The monad, by the way, because this all points to the monad. This is what this, um, do I have this here? The 361 is the monad. And what does that represent? The monad represents the Lord within, the God above. That's what it represents. It represents supreme being, the totality, wholeness, divinity. It's a symbol for the sun. It's created by the compasses. And what is that monad? It's literally what we were just dealing with. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to find the center. Every bit of that parable is telling us about what? The stars above reflecting what? The order within you. So where are we supposed to place that seed? In the good ground. You. Didn't we just cover that? Didn't we just do? I, I believe we just did Matthew 12 and just talked about the real meaning of the Sabbath and the entire chapter about the real meaning of the Sabbath was what? Finding that center within you, the resting place. Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath. He's like, well, he kept the Sabbath, but he didn't, he didn't honor the Jewish law on Saturday and shit. No, he went and picked corn and healed some people's hands. Remember? Healed some people's hands and then said what? Oh, no, we're keeping the Sabbath day. But we're just not honoring what you guys are doing because we understand the mystical, esoteric meaning of what the Sabbath day is. Where is God resting? Right here. Where are you supposed to, where is Booty supposed to place the seed in the good ground? Let's move on, shall we? Um, who hath hears? 13, 9. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Okay, well, what are you hearing? The word, of course. I'm not going to go into that too much. We've talked about that many times. In fact, we just talked about that last week, right? We were just like, oh, we're not going to hear his voice in the streets. We're not going to hear Jesus being like, oh, is that you in the megaphone over in the corner there? No, you hear the word within here. You hear it within here. So if you have ears to hear the word, let you hear because then you'll understand that. You'll understand what all that means. And the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables why don't you just tell us what's up dude why can't you just come out and be like here's the truth here it is it's here's a nice little piece of pie it's in it we put some you know whipped cream on the top and there's truth and you just eat that up and you go into heaven why is he wrapping this stuff up because to well as <laughs> we'll read on 13 11 and he answered he answered and said unto them because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it is not given this is Gnosticism, oh, like almost defined. Gnosis is all about knowledge of spiritual mysteries. We've covered it many, many times. Knowledge of spiritual mysteries. This is what Gnosticism and Gnosis is really all about. Knowledge of spiritual mysteries. So he answered and said unto them, he is going to give it to the people that are worthy, that are living an upright life, that are living a truthful, genuine, authentic, virtuous, righteous, moral, ethical life, who people that actually genuinely want to understand their predicament, where what, where they came from, where they go, and the nature of God, how to get out of here, and, and all of that sort of stuff. And they've dedicated their life to that because they want the knowledge of what? What is that knowledge ultimately? It's ultimately about it's really submission to God is really what it is. It's understanding what God wants of us. 
And we want to know that entirely in our holistic and every part of our being. And we're going to follow that. That's what, that's what Gnosticism is all about. True Gnosticism. There's a bunch of bullshit Gnosticism on the web. But we do our best to separate ourselves from that hoity, you know, crap, whatever. He answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know. You have the knowledge, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Gnosis is knowledge of spiritual mysteries. What's more spiritual than the kingdom of heaven itself? And it's mysterious, right? There's a mystery to it. Jesus is going to give it to some people and not others because they have earned it. <clears throat> They've earned that ticket. Um, now let's do some math. So this is exactly what Jesus says, okay? And I, 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 there's a lot of math moving forward. So strap in, you know, uh, just <laughs> you have to pay attention. So this is exactly what Jesus says. So let's go back to the verse and it says, He answered and said unto them, comma, this, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. He's given things to some people and others he's not. This is the math of this, okay? And then we'll talk, we'll talk about this. And Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. This has 22 words. And the full reduction of the gematria equals 7. Has 22 words. Full, you know, so there's the math. You can do all that yourself. 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. It's common, widely used. Abbreviation and approximation of pi. How many times have I said that over the last 12 years? 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. So, just as he's saying, some of you are going to understand the, the word, as and, and we understand what is, what, is the, what is pi. It's the mathematical word of God. It's a corollary in mathematics to what? Represents what? Christ. He doesn't say that pi is Christ. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that in the language of mathematics, there is a universal, transcendental, infinite constant that represents order, divine order. Jesus is telling us that some people are going to understand it and others are not. And then in the words that he's going to say that in is going to encode pi. Now, the gematria total equals 358. Now, I know my, my brother Chance Brew the Pious over there. He knows what 358 means. He knows 358. He's been doing his study. 358, what is that? Well, 358 in Hebrew gematria is Messiah. Mosiach. You know the thing that those Jews are still waiting for that showed up? <laughs> That's now living in, in, in the, that is the living presence of God that is existing with us right now? That thing that they're rejecting? According to their shit, according to their gematria, equals 358. And what is this? Well, it's the same. It's the Mosiach. It's the Messiah telling you the same thing. Now, interesting. What are the divisors? Once again, forget about the Gematria. Just look at the number 358. What are the, what are the divisors sum to? 540. Have we dealt with 540 before? What's 540? It's the degrees of the Pentagon. It's the very thing that gives you what? Phi and Phi. The very geometric shape that God's put right here and right here, and one down there on my toes, and one on the other foot right there, that number five encodes that right there. And what does that encode? A fingerprint of God. You know what else encodes 358? The billiards table. I'll show you this. 
One, so this is a billiards table is what? See, there's, um, this equals 358. So a billiard, when you, you rack up the 15 balls, usually you put the eight ball in the middle, right? And it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, et cetera, to 15. And then you have your Q, right? It's called Q, Q ball. So what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and Q equals what? 358 and 358. Now, sometimes because as you can see that cue ball is separate. Did you know that when you played a, a game of billiards that Christ was all up in your biz? <laughs> so the cue is actually separate because that's the that's the piece you use in a billiards table to actually break the rack, right? So sometimes it's called a cue ball. Well, what happens when you add ball to it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and cue ball, what does it equal? 365. What's that? It's the sun? You mean like Christ? <clears throat> What's the cue ball? It's a three-dimensional representation of the monad. Let's move on. 13.12, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. <laughs> It, the abundance that he's talking about is what? Eternal life. So you either, and this is what he just said last, last chapter. You're either with me or you're against me, right? You're either for me, you're either going to gather up with me or you're going to be scattereth abroad, right? That's what he said. What is this ultimately talking about? There's the will and the way of God. We either follow it or we don't. We follow that, we're in, in complete alignment with it, and that is what allows us to get into eternal life, and there we shall have more abundance. If you don't follow that, guess what? Everything that you have will be taken away from you, and guess what? You're going to be back down here doing it again. Therefore, speak I to them in parables. Jesus, all of these modern day Christians, the churchianity, the fundamentalist, literalist Christians that don't, that don't understand any of this stuff, right? That, but they think that they got the one true way and I took Christ as my savior and I'm going to heaven, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And you haven't taken Christ, so you're not going to go on and blah, 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 blah. And yet they don't really know any of this stuff. They assume that they're just going to get marched right up to heaven and entered into the holy gates and blah, 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 because they took Jesus Christ as their savior because they said some shit in that, like... He's actually distinctly saying, separating these people right now. He's like, I'm speaking my truth, the truth, not my truth, the eternal, absolute, divine truth of everything. And I'm giving it to you a parable. If you don't understand the parable and you have no intention of ever truly understanding what those things mean, from you shall be taken away, even that you have. Therefore, speak I to them in parables. Because they seeing they see not. And hearing, they don't actually hear the word. And they don't understand shit. They don't understand any of it. They don't understand any of the good book. As Gnostics, we're just pointing that out because we have a divine duty to set as many people straight as humanly possible. So, 
So uh, so that's why he speaks in parables, because seeing they see not, hearing they hear not, and neither do they understand. 13, 14, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Once again, this is more of prophecy being fulfilled stuff. We, we come we come to this all the time when we, you know, when we look at the Bible. It's like, oh, then here's a few lines where it's like, look at this. Old Testy stuff said this, and now Jesus is here doing it, right? So 13, 14, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. So they said that shit in the Old Testy. Now we're in the new, and here's the Mosiach, that 358, and then he's even going to say 358, and he's going to show up, and he's going to say the same thing. Why? Well, because it says right there, why do these people not see it and not hear it? They, they don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, right? They can't understand. Because for this people's heart is waxed gross. Great line. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with what? What's in, in the in the in a you know chakra system and that sort of stuff, right? What what is the center, right? We're always talking about finding that center, finding that balance. That's your heart, right? Just like we talk about what are we doing on Earth here? Well, what's the what's an anagram for Earth? It's heart. It's to find the center of your heart. Save for any Kundalini chakra stuff. Throw all that stuff out. Just anatomically, what is in the center of your chest? That's that treasure. Okay, that's the tre that's the heart that's in the center of your your chest, right? And you should understand with your heart and should be converted be converted what are they talking about with conversion what are they talking about conversion this is your your um, apotheosis this is it's given a bunch of different names depending on what tradition right like i think the orthodox they use theosis um I think like a theosoph in a, like theosophical schools they use ap apotheosis or mystery schools that sort of stuff. Sometimes they'll use apotheosis, divinization. Some people don't like that word. Deification, exaltation. These are all basically general ideas to say, look, you're gonna convert from what your stupid animalistic atavistic lost little sheep self, where you didn't hear anything, you couldn't see anything, and then you're gonna be converted, and your your holistic body, you're gonna become that spiritual body, right? So apotheosis, theosis, the conversion that he's talking about right here and should be converted and I should heal them he finishes this off is the theosis refers to the process of becoming a God through the atonement of Jesus Christ you reach God is it not written in your law I said ye are gods Theosis is the process of coming into union with God and that's exactly what we seek right when we get up and out of this thing in the center of the pole star when we don't go to the fowls of the air, the stony places, or get caught up in the thorns of Corona Borealis, right? Where do we go? We go to that center and we place the seed there and then we get up and out of here and what are we? Total unification with God. We become as God. We just unify with him. And that's what we seek. And he says this, and I should heal them. How many times have we said, now he's healing them. How many times have we said, whenever you have a, this sort of thing, this healing going on in the Bible, this is all the spiritual metaphor for that apotheosis or that theosis, that deification. Metaphors for spiritual rebirth. He was blind. He got sight. He was lame. He walked. He had leprosy. Now he's cleansed. He was deaf. Now he can hear the word. He was dead. He was raised up. He was poor. Now he can hear the gospel. And now he's got the wealth. The wealth of, the, the wealth of knowledge of what? God Almighty. Okay, so that's what that's what's going on there. Thirteen, fifteen. So, um, let's keep going. Thirteen, sixteen. But blessed are your are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Basically, just another way of saying what you know. You are understanding. You have the what the knowledge the gnosis. 
as we say, it's literally, when I'm writing the tenets of the order, it's like page one or two of the book. When I actually explain, I was like, people think that searching for knowledge is all just about like shoving your brain full of information or something like that. It, has, it literally has nothing to do with that. It's all about 100% knowledge of the heart. If you do not have that, you don't get shit. If you do not have the love for you, you know, the understanding of humanity's predicament and the love for, for love for God and, and you know, just do, doing everything in your power to be charitable and philanthropic and, you know, faith, hope and charity and stuff like that, that is all heart centered. And right. And we seek the knowledge. We seek the knowledge of what God wants from us. It's as simple as that. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What do they hear? They hear the word. Now, the word is, once again, a lot of Christians, especially the fundamentalist churchianity Christians, which, you know, it's 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 a sad predicament. It really is really what it is. But they don't understand that the concept of the word, is, it's not even a concept like we conceived it in our brain. The absolute axiomatic truth of the divine truth of the word has been shared all over the world. Egyptian, we've, I've covered this before. We're going to do it quick. Egyptian Book of the Dead. I am the Eternal. I am Ra. I am that which created the Word. I am the Word. The Alm is considered the first manifestation of the unrevealed Brahma, the cosmic creator, and is considered the supreme gods of the God of the gods. Brahman's power was only made manifest um, after the enunciation of this great Word. In the beginning was Brahman, Hindu, Hindu stuff, with whom was the Word, and the Word was the supreme Brahman. We've actually talked about how this stuff is in Norse, covered a bunch of different places. This is... Um, Hermeticism at the bottom there, um, at Hermes, Mercurius, Trismegistus, that three, another three, hmm, hmm, Theron out of light, a holy word, Logos, descended on that nature. So this is what the word is. It's the living presence of God that flows through everything. If you don't hear that, you're probably not going to get up to that eternal Point in the heavens, Polaris. For verily I say unto you, think about this. This is this is a great line too. It shows you how um, that knife at knife's edge life is in the sense, or that the straight is the straight is getting there was away, right? That sort of thing, like how it's a it's a tight little path getting up there, ain't it? Right, just like any great mountain you climb, you get up to that place where it's like there's the keyhole, there's like that little passage when you get to the top of a mountain, you're like, ah, it's a tight fit kind of thing. This is what he's saying. 1317, Verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see. So he's saying, like, you recognize what you're seeing right now, right? There's lots of people that sought after this and they didn't get it because they weren't pure of heart. They weren't, they didn't have the total dedication to God and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So 1318 says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Listen to what I'm saying. And ultimately, what do, what do we what do we say? All of that stuff out there, just as just as we teach with the anthropocosm and the zodiac man and the you know, all of that sort of stuff, right? What does that refer all of that stuff out there reflects what's going on in here. Where are you supposed to place that seed? In your heart. Thirteen nineteen. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed 
by the wayside. So this, so they're saying, oh, this, and when you hear the word, but you don't understand it, then cometh the wicked one, which is what? Of course, this is a devil, the old serpent, the devil, Beelzebub, whatever you want to say, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. You sowed a bunch of stuff, but you didn't hear the actual meaning. You didn't hear what it actually, you didn't, you didn't understand. You didn't have the gnosis. This is which he received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with with joy receiveth. So here now, so now I'm saying, oh, there's seeds that were placed in the 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 um, stony places, and these people they they hear the word and they're like, oh, great, the word, the truth is here, oh, divine truth. I'm, t I'm yes, that's I'm gonna totally accept it. And then what does he say? Thirteen twenty one. Yet hath he not root in himself. What are we saying? Where are we placing the seed? Within here. Place it over here, the stony places and the fowls of the air. Nope, you got to place it in here. Then what does he say? But dureth for a while, endureth is basically what it's saying. So they're like, oh, yes, we're, we're totally for truth and stuff like that and blah, 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 blah. But for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, in other words, when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you got this word and you got this truth, but then they start persecuting, what do you do? Quote, or comma, by and by he is offended. What is he saying? <laughs> He's saying basically, oh yes, we're, we're totally for divine truth and stuff like that. I'm totally going to stand up for that. But when the heat gets on, when persecution starts happening, that's when you cower. When the pressure's on, you cuck. When confronted with standing up for truth, you cower. When the heat is on, you leave the kitchen burning. Like, oh, I can't handle that. I got to get out of here. No, when the pressure's on, that's when you stand up the most. That's when, and just as we said a couple of live streams ago, a couple of sermons ago, when you go on top of the house and you preach the word. So this is what this is the the context. Of what he's saying, uh, you're you're all joyous that you heard the word, but you didn't root it. You didn't actually live it. You didn't root it in yourself, and you endure it for a while. That's cool, good for you. But when persecution shows up. You're offended because you cucked. You cowered. Then he goes to, you know, this, once again, the, you're the sower again. He also that receives um, seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he become unfruitful. What is he saying? His only concerns are worldly things. That's what he's saying. The deceitfulness of riches. You wrapped yourself up in fancy cars and cigars. You went all you went all Andrew Tate is what you did, right? You got cigars and Bugatti and you think you're a man because of that. Okay. So you know this is so they're saying he received the seeds and the thorns and those thorns just came and choked it all up because your cares were only of the things of this world. Your status and how, how many people, are, how many followers do I have on this, blah, 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 and the deceitfulness of riches. You just cared about material wealth. And because of that, the word was choked. And your, your life was not a fruitful life. Then it says this. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also bear fruit bear fruit and bringeth forth 
Once again, there's that fourth. Well, I'm not going to get into that. Some in 100, and some 60, and some 30. 190. Jesus is giving us the answer to a parable, and he is giving us math. If you don't understand the math, then how are you possibly going to understand the parable? And once again, where is the good ground? That's where, you, where do you plant that seed to let the tree of life grow? Within you. That's your axis mundi. Thirteen twenty four And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, thirteen twenty five, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade what's a tear, first off? Excuse me. A tear in biblical use is an injurious weed resembling wheat when young. Okay, and it even gives you the verses that we're dealing with right here, right? So a tear is basically like, oh, there's wheat that's coming up, and then there's this weed that looks just like wheat, right? And it's injurious. It's like it does damage, in other words, but it resembles wheat. So this enemy came in and sowed some tares among the wheat, okay? <clears throat> when the blade was sprung up and, the, and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. 1326. So the servants of the household come out and they're like, oh, we got an issue here, right? You've got some tares and you got wheat. We got we should probably go tear the tares up, right? So the servants of the household came and said unto him, sir, didst not thou sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? Like, I thought, you wait, you were doing the good work, right? You were, you were a man of God. You were on the path, right? You were teaching the way, the truth, and the life. Like, what happened? This enemy came in, and now you got this issue. And he said unto them, 1328, an enemy hath done this. The devil came in. And the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then we go and gather them up? Well, we should probably go take care of that. And what's his response? 1329 says, But he said, Nay, lest... While ye gather them up the tares, ye root up, use the word root again, ye root up also the wheat with them. So, obviously, what is this? It's a representation of tares. It's the enemy and the wheat, which is the good. You separate, you know. And so they're saying, hey, if you go and tear up the tares, you might pull up things that are good, okay? Now, when we talk about, um, when we talk about, when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, right? When you just like they just mentioned, like, you know, like the, you know, it's going to be fruitless, that sort of stuff. Anytime you see fruit, what is this? It's the fruits of the, it, well, this is what John Jones, whatever, the fruits of your labor will bear the fruits of your success. And so basically what it is, it's the fruits of your labor. It's like, what you, what did you do down here? What was the choices that you made? The, you, you know, did you, did you create wonderful, delicious, golden, delicious apples? Or did you just produce a bunch of damaged goods? Okay, that's the fruit, and that represents how good you know. Once in in this sense, you put down here to see how you do. You get this chance at life to, you know, uh, figure out and live a, a good, honest, genuine life, and you know all that sort of stuff, and or you don't, and that's your fruits. Obviously, pretty pretty straightforward, right? Okay, so then he says, hey, don't go and tear up the tears because you might pull the good good fruit as well. Okay, and so. Then, then he says this. Let both grow together. Let the tares that were brought forth by the enemy and the wheat grow together until the harvest. What's the harvest? The harvest is what? The harvest of souls. So basically the good and the evil are going to be intermixed down here. 
until it comes time to actually answer for what you did down here. Then what happens? 1330, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I say to the reapers, gather ye first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. What's going to happen? But gather the wheat into my barn. What's burning? Well, what? Just, just as you just said, right? To the, to the wheat, the people, the people that produce the good fruit, guess what's going to happen to them? They shall receive more abundance. But the tares that we're working in with all the good, what's going to happen with them? They're going to be brought up. They're going to be all brought together. And they're going to be burned up in the lake of fire, if you will. And then they're going to have to do this shit all over again. Now, before we get to the, the next parable, I just want to show you this. This is a Masonic Lodge. Once again, when you understand the symbolism of Freemasonry, this is essentially the parable right here. Okay? On earth, what's going on? Well, on earth, as we've said before, this is where evil is allowed to exist. The good, the black and white, they're mixed with one another down here. That's what that represents. That square represents what? It's the square of earth. It's the square of earth. So down here, when you're walking down in this material dimension, you are in a place where good and evil are allowed to have free, free reign. Free, you know, it's like they get the equal playing time, if you will. And they're intermixed with one another, the wheat and the tares. But when it comes to harvest time, what's God going to bring up, the black ones or the white ones? He's going to bring up the wheat. Okay. So this is a Masonic Lodge, and this is your standard layout of a Masonic Lodge generally, right? Um, and so what do you have? The good, the, the tares and the wheat mixed down here in the material plane. And what's right up, right up north? Polaris. It's, a, it's the, the, the shining star in the middle of the whole thing. It's Polaris. It's the very place that our souls get up and out of here. This whole thing is actually, this whole parable is actually telling you about where you are. About that you are on earth and what happens on earth. Earth is the place that good and evil are allowed to, to exist simultaneously. So that man, his soul, his soul would be able to come down here and have the, the obstacle course. And have the, you know, have the high tides and the low tides and the, and the, the battles that he's going to have to face in order to temper that sword, to temper that soul, to temper that spirit so that he can get up and out of here. This is the purpose of earth. This is the teleology of earth. One of the parables that Jesus is giving you right now is saying, hey, man. I'm giving you the purpose of why I made this entire freaking thing. Teleology is the explanation of a phenomenon in terms of the purpose they serve. So in other words, if we want to understand what we're doing here, we have to understand the purpose of why God made the thing. In theology, it's the, it's the doctrine of design and purpose in the material world. So God must have a purpose. What did he build? What did God build earth for? Once again, we say God could have just been hanging out being God, but then all of a sudden he decided to go and build earth and then put all these souls through all this pain. And as I like to say from Faith and Morris, Mike Patton, the pain, the torment, the torture, profanity, Nazi, subversion, calamity, right? He goes through all of that sort of shit. Well, why did you do that, God? Because he wants you to, he wants you to put, you know, get into this, you know, here's, there's your field. There's your field. What is the field in this sense? It's earth. And what are you going to do? What fruit are you going to bring forward? Are you going to bring the wheat? Are you gonna let the? Are you gonna bring the? Are you gonna be the tear? Okay, 
And I just want to show one more thing, and then I'm going to take a little break. We'll do past the basket. And then I just want to show you this. This is just a little side note, little side note. Um, but he all he says, but gather the wheat, which the wheat represents the good souls, the ones that have been that have you know you know given themselves to Christ, weigh the truth in the life, that sort of thing. But gather the wheat into my barn. I just want to show you this, just a little side note. But when you look at the top of a barn, like how barns were generally, you know, built, is, um, you know, like in Wisconsin, there's, there's tons of these, right? A lot of them are falling down now because they're just, you know, older structures. But um, it generally, the shape of a barn was always like this, and that mimics essentially that the doorways that you see in a lot of these temples and cathedrals, right? So he's saying, gather them this wheat into my barn, right? All of this, all of this language is hyper, hyper symbolic. So, um, so there's your shape of your barn. There's the shape of your a lot of these cathedrals, these you know these entrances to these just unbelievable freaking masterworks of engineering and, and architecture. And what is that generally? Well, it's it's a, the general shape of the Vesca Pisces, which is what it's the Jesus fish. It's the fundamental symbol that gives you the Jesus fish. And we've covered this many moons. We've covered this many, many times over many moons. But um, there's your Jesus. There's Yahawashi. And he's in the middle of uh, Vesca Pisces. Okay? So there is that. Okay, so we're going to pass the basket really quick. If anybody wants to um, donate to the fine work that we do here, we really appreciate it. Um, we can't do this without you. We, we operate on... Basically, book sales and donations. That's essentially what how we keep this thing going. And so we really appreciate all the people that do support the fine work that we do here. And uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee cash app. You can become a subscribe star if you would like. And if you would like to send any mail, I do have a piece of mail um, that I probably won't open this week. I'll get to that at the end, following week. But if you would like to send a letter or donations, anything like that, Kevin McNally... N2550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, so much to the people that do um, continue to support and see the fine work that we do here and understand understand what it is we're trying to do here and um, appreciate it. Um, it. It means so much to us. So um, we would like to keep doing this. And we, like I said, we've got three books that we're looking at releasing this year. Ooh, my blind Willie's going crazy on there. And so we've got a lot in store and we we're looking forward to next year too. So because there's, there's more things in the works. So 
That said, let's keep rocking. 1326. Oh, no, 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 no. Where am I? Where am I? Wrong one. Where am I? Um, yes, okay, 1331. Another parable. Another parable. Put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed. That line alone tells you everything you need to know about this parable. That, that line alone. The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven, all of the heavens above, this expanse, this, this massive metaphysical realm that showers us and enshrouds us every single day, all of that can be fit down into, oh, just a little tiny bit, just a little bit. That's the point, is that the great is in the small, the small is in the great. And this represents the human being, that you are a reflection of the totality of the whole thing. You know, so when you look at it, it's like, oh, this, all oh, this heaven, all, they're all saying, this is what this ultimately is saying. All of that is in here. Okay. 1331, let me read again. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and, and lodge in the branches thereof. Um, uh, we've, here, let me, let me show this actually. I think I have this at the very bottom here. Hopefully I kept this in here. Oh, I don't think I did. Um, that's okay. That's okay. We'll just talk about it. We'll just talk about it. Basically, we and we've mentioned this numerous, numerous times before about how in the center of the creation, where the, representing that pole star is what is the tree of life that turns. You know, there's the the flaming sword that turns every single way, which to keep the tree of life. That tree of life is the eternal life. That that's in the center of our cosmos. We've mentioned that numerous, numerous times before, right? And so it's saying that that little tiny seed within that seed has the entire pattern of the, the grand oak, if you will, that it's going to become, right, in this metaphor. That seed, when that goes into the ground, the entire tree is within that seed. This is a very as above, so below sort of uh, fractal idea. So here's a mustard seed, just a tiny seed, very, very tiny, right? And it's saying that all oh, the kingdom of heaven is all in that thing. And then when it's placed in the seed into that good ground of that field, then it'll grow up. And then what? All the birds, and it even says the birds of the air will, uh, right? Uh, where does it say here? Well, which is indeed the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, become a tree, the tree of life that's in the center of the whole thing, so that the birds of the air come and lodge and in the branches thereof. Well, we just talked about, once again, when this is parabolic and we talk about the birds of the air, right? What is this, what is this saying? The tree that's in the center, that axis mundi, that tree of life that's in the center of the thing that represents the central mountain, the central pole, the polaris, well, it's going to grow up that tiny, tiny bit. It's going to grow up into what? And lodge the birds of the air, the fowls of the air, if you will. Once again, this is all representing our cosmology. And this is what fractals is really all about. It's like, oh, you got this tiny little seed and then it's going to grow up into this big thing. And this is what is this representing? Ultimately, the, 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 the flowering of your spiritual life is really what it is. Okay? That kingdom of heaven, you're going, looking over here, look over there. Oh, lo there. Lo, neither shall they say, lo here, lo there. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is where? Within you. 
And what's that going to do? That little seed is going to bloom into a big tree, so much so that it will represent the entire cosmos and the fowls of the air can, can um, rest on its branches. This is a the fractal idea, and that's this whole idea. It's like there's all of the kingdom of heaven. It's the expanse. This is what this represents, right? So when we, this is the Mendelbrot set. I'm sure many people know this, fractals, that sort of thing. So it's a mathematical object that basically is self-referential. It's like basically self... Um, uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Eh, I'm not going to find that word. Let's just try a different one. Basically, it's like a, you know, you take one part of it and then you keep going and going and going and going. And a set is basically you put one, you get your um, result, and then you put your result back into the equation. And then you just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. And so what you have is saying, okay, so this big thing right there, this metal broad set, that big turtle, that represents all of the heavens, right? The expanse of the heavens that looks right that's above us and shrouds us, and then you go tiny, get down to that. Oh, I get all the way down to that freaking mustard seed, and what's in there? Yeah, this is the same shit. It's heaven. See that? There's the kingdom of heaven. In you know, this is once again a geometric or mathematical metaphor. Of course, that's what Jesus has done us exactly to do. Right? And for so there's the big set, if you will, and then you scroll in and you scroll down to the very tiniest bit of it. And what do you have? Right there. There it is. And if you keep scrolling, I don't have the rest of the video, but it'll, it'll show it again. And then you can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And so that's what it represents, okay? Kingdom of Heaven is within here. Um, now, for those people that are like, well, they didn't have fractals back then. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. You can do basic geometry and find fractals, right? Fractals is a modern day understanding of, of a mathematical understanding of this idea. But if you just draw a pentagram, if you just draw a pentagram, do I have? No, I don't have that right there. But if you draw a pentagram, inside that pentagram is going to be a pentagon. Well, in that pentagon, you can draw another pentagram. And then inside that pentagram will be another pentagon. And then inside that pentagon, you draw another pentagram. And then inside that pentagram would be another pentagon. Do you get the point? So just basic geometry can tell you about this fundamental idea. We just have a modern-day mathematical, uh, you know, uh, mathematical object called the Mendelbrot set to understand that, you know, fractals essentially. So, ah, uh, where are we? Thirteen, thirty-one. Another parable. Spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. So the whole was leavened. Okay, so what is what is leaven? Obviously, leaven is dealing with dough and yeast and rising bread, of course, right? Well, we're just talking about the tree in the center of, right, eternal life. And then what is, of course, what is Jesus? He's the bread of life. We just talked about this last uh, chapter too, Matthew chapter 12, where it's like, oh, remember when David went in and ate the show bread? And what does the bread represent? That represents the bread of eternal life. Of course, right? So this is all symbolism to basically say, look, this is what we're this is what we're dealing with here. Um, another parable: Kingdom of Heaven is like a leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Um, a leaven is also it's well number one it's a substance typically yeast that is used in dough to make it rise. So leaven is necessary to put in there to make it arise or Aries, lamb, to rise. This is exactly what we want to do, just like that little mustard seed comes, becomes the big tree, rises into the air, if you will, into the heavens. It's also a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it for the better. 
transforms it, converts it. You mean like apotheosis and theosis? Then, how many measures of the meal did the woman have to put in there in order to in order to convert, in order to transform this this bread of life that's going to rise and all this? How many measures? Three. Well, why? Why three measures of meal? I don't know. It might have something to do with this. I'm not. I'm just gonna take a wild stab in the dark, and I think it might. It might be a Trinitarian thing. It. It might be that. Who's that guy that we were just mentioning? Oh, Hermes Mercurius tries try and Trismegistus. Why three? Well, once again, if you haven't studied the seven class of liberal arts. If you don't know your cosmology, if you don't know the geometry, if you don't know these fundamentals, then there's no way that when Jesus gives you a parable and says 190, you're going to make any sense of it. When he gives you another parable and says, why three measures of meal? Because the doctrine, the doctrine, trine means three, so whenever you hear any time, and there's, this word is used all over the Bible, the doctrine of Jesus, right? Trine means three. Trine is an astrological term. It's a, it's a parabolic, if you will. An aspect of 120. It's one third of a circle. That's what a trine is. So that's an astrological term. But it also means three. What is a doct? What is the root of the word doct? Like a doctor, right? This, this is the, pre, the prefix. So it's to teach or instruct. So in other words, the doctrine is to teach or, teach, or, or teach or instruct about what? The power of the Holy Trinity. Lord equals, Lord has four letters. Jesus has five. And Christ has six. And four times five times six is the doctrine, the 120 the third of a circle, the doctrine of Jesus. Where do we find when we talk about ah the bread? Oops, sorry, the bread. Let me go back up here. So there's the bread, and there's the three measures of meal that are hidden in that bread, and that bread is going to rise, and that's the bread of life, and that's the rise, which is Aries, which is the lamb, which is the ram, right? All of that sort of thing. Okay, now let's uh right so that's three measures of meal what is the three it's the it's a it's a triangle right you can see numerous represent there's god in the lower right hand there's a triangle of course it's the trinity which is three points that become one which is what the fundamentals of a triangle right even the trinity itself is parabolic in this sense upper left hand corner is all triangles then you get to that top one there is triangles and the right this is a triangle what's a triangle it's 180 degrees Okay, well, Jesus said, just put that stuff into the good ground, which is you. This is the math of your hands. I've showed this many times. I'm just going to show it again to show you that these fundamental ideas are literally placed right in front of you. So Jesus just gave you the math of the 190, which represents what? The vigesimal system. The vigesimal system, which is a base 20 system, which is representing 10 up here and 10 down there, right? Okay, well, just so you know, the mathematical pattern of your phalanges on your hands, on your, you know, your eight fingers and two thumbs here, is the exact same pattern that you have below on your feet. You can double check it. Two on your big toe, two phalanges on your big toe, and then the other four toes have um, three. 
on each one. You can count them yourself. You can do that. Okay, well, what does this reveal to us? I'm just going to show this quick. You can pause the video and double check all this if you'd like. Uh, 28 phalanges, 14 here, 14 here, 28 total, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 equals 28. Multiplying 1 through 7 equals 5,040. The 7 triangular number gives you the phalanges of your hands and your feet. You just multiply those numbers, you get 5,040. 5,040 divided by 28 is 180. What's 180? It's the degrees of the trinity, the triangle. The three measures of meal that allows that bread of life to rise. And where is it rising? Here. It's what the whole pair, all of these parables are ultimately about. Let's keep going. That was 33. Okay. Um, then he reminds you, then Jesus reminds you in 1334, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Every word out of his mouth was parabolic. Everything out of his mouth was in the hermeneutic sense, right? When we look at the, the, the fourfold patristic approach, right? The Kabbalistic approach to scriptural, you know, exegesis, right? Biblical exegesis. Everything out of his mouth was anagogical. Everything out of his mouth was occult. Everything out of his mouth was mystical and magical. Everything out of his mouth had incredible depth. And he's going to say, if you understand that, the deepness of what I'm saying, you'll get let in up and out of this place and into that pole star. Thirteen thirty-five. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, "Comma, I will open my mouth in parables." Okay. Once again, we've already covered this before. Duh. Of course, you're going to speak to us. So, of course, what are you going to speak to? Like, you know, like you going to mime some shit or something? No. Of course, Jesus is going to open his. Why would it be necessary for the Bible to tell us that he's opening his mouth? It's not. It's like, duh. He could have just said he spoke to them in parables. Well, I already said that. So, but why are they telling you to open my mouth in parables here? Because this is yet another reference to what? Pi, the mathematical word of God. Pi is usually assumed to come from the pictogram of a mouth in both uh, Arabic and Hebrew, as far as I understand. So, pi, the Semitic letter, the word pay, pi, meaning mouth, is used in the same fashion as the English word mouth, as an organ with which to eat and drink. So, when Jesus is speaking, obviously we know he's opening his mouth. So why would they need to tell you that? Because it's cryptic. I will open my pie. My pie hole. Then, as I just said, what is he going to say? I will utter things which have been kept secret, which have been anagogical from the foundation of the world. What is secret? Secret means occult. Every Christian that's reading a Bible, that's studying their Bible, is reading a unbelievably next level, neat plus ultra, through and through, 111%, 113% occult document. That's what anagogical means. This is why I find it hilarious that like the ortho ortho bros and shit like that, like this is like, or like well, most of the churchianity people or whatever, it's like they just, they'll deny all of this stuff all day long. It's like, 
Okay, well, except Jesus is telling you to do the exact opposite. Proverbs 25.2, it's one of my favorite lines. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. It is the glory of God to occult shit. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. It's kingly, it's honorable to search out the information that we're sharing right here and now. Jesus is instructing you to seek it out yourself. Thirteen thirty-six. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. Astrological term, subtle at astrology. And his disciples came and said unto him, "Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field." Then he replies, "This." This is so good. Thirteen thirty-seven. He answered and said unto them, "He that soweth the good seed is the son of man." Okay. Now, what did we just cover? Matthew chapter 12. The entire chapter was what? We talked about the real meaning of the Sabbath and we covered specifically what I said what the Son of Man is. Now, here we are in chapter 13 and what it, what's going on? What's the Son of Man? It's the light, the divine spark that's within you. Even if in Son, that's well, Jesus. Okay, and what's he? The light. And S-O-N and S-U-N is phonetically identical, I, I, you know, phonetically identical, which means what? That's once again a parabolic, a parabolic reference to what? The sun in our sky, the light. So the son of man. In theology, that sun represents the divine light. It's exactly what it is. It's an aspect of the divine presence, which is what? Jesus, who's always present. And then of means expressing the relationship between a part and a whole Man means you, a human being of either sex, a person. So the light of man. Now, let's go back to what Jesus is saying. He answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Like I said, we discovered this in chapter 12, and what did we say? Where is that son? Where's the Sabbath day? It's the same place you're supposed to put the seed. It's six around one. How many parables are we covering in this chapter? I'm pretty sure there was seven. Seven parables. I wonder if that's related. <laughs> so, okay, so... So, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Did we not just say that? But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Let's go on and then I'll talk about the world. We'll talk about the world. Because the field, the, what is a field? When you look out into a field, what do you look at? Usually it's like a farmer's field. What is it? It's usually a flat expanse of land for the most part, right? Yes, you can have a field that does all sorts of things, hills and that sort of thing. But in general, a field is what? Like a baseball field. What is it? Flat, right? Was a football field? Flat. Soccer field? Flat, right? So this says like the world, right? Now it isn't necessarily saying that this is earth, okay? But we're, we're in a material dimension. We're on earth, right? And it is a flat stationary plane. Let's not be silly. So, um, where are we? Where are we? Okay, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of God, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Let's keep going. The, and then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll read a few and then we'll talk about this. The enemy, 1339, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. What are the angels? We are, this is, that's Kabbalistic. That's Kabbalistic. We're talking about the center of the tree of life, right? And what's that, what is the ten emanations that are on that tree in Kabbalah? Zero, one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those are the metaphysical angels, the angles. Okay? The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels, 1340. And therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world. Now, once again, this world. Now, you can see how many times they're mentioning world here. And the end of it, right? The field is the world. Uh, it's the end, the harvest, which is where the harvest of souls. Obviously, this is where you will be judged for the things that you do down here, right? This is your battleground. This is your school. This is the place that you go for your soul to undergo that quest. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore, the tares that gather and burn in the field, so it shall be the end of this world. This is the world ages doctrine. Okay. This is the world ages doctrine. This is exactly what they're referencing. This is not mentioning the end of the world. Like all the earth is just going to up and vanish like a fart in the wind. It's going to up. The earth is going to just poof out of existence like the spinal tap drummer or some shit. No, no, nothing like that. The world ages doctrine is, is, a, is a representation of the ages of the world. It's the notion that the world uh, is the is a, is or the world of the cosmos. Um, our, our cosmology here is a living thing. It is. It undergoes, it under, excuse me, <laughs> slow down there, Marty. It undergoes stages of development similar to those of the human individual. It's a ubiquitous belief, meaning it's all over the place, one that is frequently displayed in linguistic phenomenon, okay? Uh, for example, lying behind the English wor word world is an old Germanic compound, whereald, which means the life or age of man. In Indo-European languages, the term life or world um, and terms designating temporal periods are often uh, shade off into each other as the Greek aeon or the Latin, um, I'm not sure how you say the seculum or something like that. Basically what they're saying is that, and there's on the left there saying there's seven ages of the world, that sort of thing, is that the world goes through seasons, if you will. The world, okay, not the, 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 of, and the world in this sense is a world age doctrine. We look back at, you know, the, the Gothic cathedrals of the past or the, you know, there's the great buildings of the past, right, in which so many of these we have no idea who put them there, where, how they got there, that sort of thing. Obviously, that was a different age. It had a different character. It had a different personality. People were either closer or further to God. I would say a lot closer to God back then. When you look at the you know the Roman architecture and the fantastic artistry and the art you know all of that sort of stuff, they were those people were obviously living in a different age than we are now. And this is exactly what they're saying. The end of the world. There will be an end of the world. There'll be a start of the new one too. But there will be an end of the world. And when that happens, right, there's going to be the, the harvest of the souls, right? And this is exactly what we can see. Why, why would we assume that the earth would not go through these ages? This is exactly what it does anyway, right? The seasons of the year, the sun, it, it goes through a high tide and low tide. It goes through a day, you know, day and night. It's just, everything is in cycles in this sense, right? The seasonal cycle, that sort of stuff. So basically, the world ageist doctrine is just saying, hey, the entire earth the world, in this sense, it, the earth goes through different world ages in which things look different. There's a, Like I said, there's a different character and that sort of stuff. And a, a cycle, and I've mentioned this before, is ba a, a cycle itself is living, is it, it's living proof of design. A cycle is, a, is absolute proof of design. 
So, and what does it do? It goes from light to dark. There's dark ages. You've heard of the dark ages, right? And then you've heard of golden ages. And how many cultures have talked about this? This gets into the whole, like, um, Greek great year and the yuga cycles and stuff like that that we could talk about. But this is all a reference to all of that. So that's what is going on. So um, do I have this year too? No, I don't. That's okay. It doesn't matter. We can keep moving. But um, there is a line in the Bible. Maybe I do have it here. Oh, I don't see it. That's okay. It doesn't matter. But basically, there's several lines in the Bible where it basically talks about... Um, that there's there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, but the earth abideth forever. So there's not so so many Christians, and I just talked to Brandon Big Sim about this, and he, you know the, all these churchianities. It's like end of the world, end. Of, they're always talking about the end of the world. First off, calm down. You're not going to even know when that is. Number one, but that does not mean it's the end of the earth. Two different things. Glad we cleared that up. Let's move on. Thirteen forty one. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they should gather out of uh, his kingdom, all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Obviously, once again, this is this talking about the angels. Are gonna, they're the reapers. They're going to be clean and clean in house, if you will. It's basically what I was saying. Thirteen forty-two, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, where they'll shall where there where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What is the furnace of fire? Well, we already just we talked about this when we did the we did the live stream on hell. Where's the furnace of fire? Where's the lake of fire? It's it's a it's a place in our cosmology. It's it's the underworld. Where is hell? It's below. Where's where's this? Below the earth. It's exactly where it is. And the false prophet and we'll 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 cover all of this when we do revelation. We'll, we'll be line by line. The false prophet is down there. What's that? That's the false cross. It also says in Revelation that Jesus will be with the souls that go down there as well. Well, what's Jesus represented by? There's the Southern Cross. We've talked about all of that as well. I'm just mentioning that for, for your own further um, study, if you would like. Uh, where are we? Oh, and so who's going to be down in this this hell down there? That's the that's the that's the million dollar question right there. Ten thousand dollar question. Uh, who's going to be down in that furnace of fire burning? <laughs> right of the sets. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So there's your lake of fire. And who's going to be down there? Let's see. Uh, they shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And casting them. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there, and this, uh, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25 and Matthew 22 and 13 and 13 and Luke 13. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And who who are the people that are weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, they are the, uh, and she'll cut him asunder and point him his portion with the hypocrites. The hypocrites. The hypocrite. Who are the hypocrites? The Pharisees and the scribes. And we'll cover that when we get to Matthew 23. And he has some, cho as I've said, he has some choice words for those. Oh, woe unto you, lawyers, you scribes and Pharisees. You shut up the kingdom of heaven and, you know, that sort of thing. Suffer ye that are entering to go in. That whole thing. He literally is calling all of those Jews hypocrites. And where are they going to be? In the underworld where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's down there. Thirteen forty-three. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun <laughs> in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, come on. 
in the kingdom of their father. Excuse me, let me read this correctly. 1343, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And their father. So two lines before this, and then a few lines before that, and then all of last chapter, we talked about the fact that the sun represents what? That's that divine light. And that is parabolic, which means it represents what? What is the divine light in our sky? What is the great light in our sky? It's the sun. It's the, it's the timekeeper. It's the thing that determines the day and the night. Okay, and so then we're saying, well, this is all parabolic. No, we're not saying that. We're not saying shit. Jesus is saying that, that this is all parabolic. This is all parables. And then now it's telling us that, hey, man, um, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom as, like and as a simile. It's yet another saying. It's like, we're going to compare this stuff. Okay, <laughs> so it's like just straight out basically telling you. You'll, you'll shine forth as the sun, like the sun. Um, who hath ears to hear, let him hear again. Um, what are you hearing? Obviously, the word. The word. <sighs> Another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. What is he saying? Giving up everything. Your entire life is a total dedication to God. Total dedication to truth, the way, the life, everything. That, you know, just as Jesus said, and we've covered this before in Matthew, it was just like, go and sell everything. You're not going to need any script in your purse. You're not going to need any gold or, or any silver or anything like that. You're not going to need two coats. You're not even, you know, you just go out and just preach that word. And you will be provided the entire time. Why? Because God is the presence of God. That living word is within everything. And it responds. Get it? Which a man he hath found, this treasure that was hid in a field, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. 1345. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. What are the pearls? We'll cover that in just a second. 46. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Once again, it's another, it's just basically another way of saying the same thing. Once you find that truth, once you and what does that truth represent? It's everything. It's what I'm doing here. It's the love of God. It's where I'm supposed to be going. It's my purpose in life. It's the purpose of Earth. It's it's you know in this at least at least for me at least for me I'll just say this. It's answered pretty much every question that I've ever really wanted answered in in, in a spiritual or theological sense. It's everything. I am. Uh, this is my life now. This is my dedication. This is my path. I've got. I got this pearl, and that's that's. That's what I need because every because what's in that pearl? It's like it's almost like it's a it's a tiny pearl. It's very small. It's almost like a grain of mustard seed. It's almost like in that pearl is the entire kingdom of heaven or some shit. So <laughs> so when he found a pearl of great price, what is the pearl? Of course, once again, heady heady symbolism. Uh, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. What did it say right before that? He hid it in a field. Why did he hide it? Because he's not casting it to people that don't deserve it. Because they, he knows, because, you know, Matthew 7, 6, a few chapters before this, told him, 
Because if you give it to a bunch of swine, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Why, why pearl? What does the pearl represent? We've talked about this. You know how difficult it is to get a pearl? Today, natural pearls are extremely rare. Only one in 10,000 wild oysters yield a pearl. Some pearls can develop in a period of six months. Larger pearls can take up to four years to develop. So whenever you see a, a pearl, right? Um, and think about this. So this is, this is something we've talked about before. In order to find enough pearl oysters, free divers were forced to descend to depths of over 100 feet on a single breath exposing them to the dangers of hostile creatures, waves, eye damage, and drowning. The, the, um, the, the effort that it takes to get that pearl, you could die. And then you go down there and you're opening up oyster. And it's like, oh, there's nothing. And then grabbing it. Oh, there's no freaking pearl. And then you go up, get some air, and then you go back down. And like, oh, there's no freaking pearl. And then you find a pearl. And what do you do? It's everything. It's the pearls of wisdom. Only those who are willing to brave the depths can truly appreciate the pearls found there is one of the things we talk about. Here's a Kurdish proverb, right? So this, uh, this is another one. He who wants pearls must dive into the sea. That's so good. So this is this pearls of wisdom, seeking the goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl, that's all I needed, one. Why? Because the one is fractal in that sense. He went and sold all he had and bought it. 1347, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. This, once again, this uh, net cast into the sea, let's go back up to yonder here. This net that was cast into the sea, The I, I'm not going to go over this so much, but basically we already talked about, hey, we're in a sea. This is a lake or a sea, whatever you want to say. Um, the river of the Milky Way goes right by it. On the other side of it is the river Aradnus, which literally goes into the sea. There's literally a symbol of del delta. The delta is a symbol of the triangle in the Greek letters. And what is at the end of this river? It's a delta. What is right there? It's the reticulum, which is a net. It's a, it's the that's what it is, and that net is there to catch dorado and volans and all of that sort of stuff. So that's what, you know. Once again, just to, some references there, but I don't want to lose myself here. I think I already have. No, I have, and there we are. Um, no, we're not back here. Sorry, excuse me. Um, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast the bad away. I mean, that's pretty, I don't think I even need to explain that, but you know, really, I mean, it's basically just a reiteration of what we already said, right? Oh, when the harvest time has come, guess what you're going to do? Well, don't, don't go tear out the bad yet. No, 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 no. God's going to take care of that. You just got to make sure that you're the wheat. Right? So you take the, the good vessels, you cast the nonsense away. So shall it be at the end of the world. Like I just said. Uh, the angels shall come forth. What are the angels? Angles? Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They are the living angels. Metaphysical, supernatural truth that's around us all the time. And sever the wicked from among the just. 1350. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. Where those should be weeping and gnashing of teeth and all that other stuff. Who's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Ah, the Jews. The Jews. This is what I, I actually, here's the graphic. I just had it in the wrong place. Um, this is when you talk about the world age doctrine at the end of the world, because this is what it was just said. So shall it be at the end of the world, right? 
Well, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. The, the, the earth ain't going anywhere. The material existence where souls come down to actually undergo this process of spiritual transformation, this ain't going anywhere. The world age will change. Absolutely. And, and when that changes, what's going to be here? It's a new heavens and new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. One generation passeth away. Oh, the, 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 you know, the, the Gothic cathedral builders, they're gone. That's not, what happened? I don't know. Who, the Machu Picchu, who built that? I don't know. They're all gone. No, the Egyptian, what, that age, what happened to them? Oh, they're all gone. That generation passeth away. But the earth abideth forever. But there will be an end of the world. Thirteen fifty one. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood? Did you have the gnosis? Did you have the knowledge? Did you understand? Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They saith unto him, Yeah, Lord. Yeah, we understand. This is the, this is the group of people that are like, Yeah, it's, it's freaking. Yeah, we get it, dude. The Son of Man's right here, and this is where we want to place the seed, and that's the that's Bootes, and that's the fowls of the air, and then there's the center, that's Polaris, and there's the tree, and that's where we want to go, and it's eternal life. We yeah, yeah, Lord, we get it. Then say said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasures things new and old. That right there is a reference specifically to what? The New and Old Testament. And this is why he calls, he even said, the scribe. Because there are people that scribe the New Testament too. Now when they, they talk about specifically, when they, and they almost always pair them together, not always, but a lot of times they'll pair them together, the scribes and Pharisees, right? They'll, they'll pair these things together. And the scribes in this sense are referencing the people that were scribing the Torah. But there are people that were instructed in the kingdom of heaven. It's like unto a man that is a householder. He's, a, he's a bringing forth out of his treasure things new and old. We're going to go into, the, in this sense, we're going to go into the Old Testament and we're going to extract the higher wisdom from it. But we're not going to be stuck on to be like, well, you got to do everything on a Saturday. And if you don't, then we're going to conspire and you know, make sure things, like, you know, that sort of thing. 13, I'm not going to expand on that too much, but I think you basically get it. 1353, and it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. He's like, oh, my work is done. You guys understand. All right, let's move on. Now let's finish this baby off. 1354, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Once again, boom, Jesus is like, oh, you guys all understand? You guys got it, the parables, your heaven, uh, kingdom of heavens within, mustard seed, grows into a tree, fowls in the air. Okay, you guys get it. Now, you know who doesn't fucking get it? The syn Those people in the synagogue. So I'm going to go over there now. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man whence hath this man this wisdom, this knowledge, this gnosis? And these mighty works. Then basically, this is all a this is all a you know, just basically an acknowledgement that he's the Mosiach, he's the Messiah, is, is, is in, 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 you know, in one in one aspect of this. So, um, 1355, is this not the carpenter's son? 
is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. So Jesus has four brothers and a mother, and they're specifically naming these brothers. This is a very important point because I'm going to hammer on the freaking ortho bros right now. We talked about this before. Repeat this stuff because it's necessary. 1355, is this not the carpenter's son? Basically, right? Is this not Joseph, is the carpenter's son? Is this not, is his mother not Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? So Jesus, now they don't tell you what the name of the sisters are, right? But um, he does have sisters, apparently, and he's got four brothers by name, and um, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. Once again, these are the people that heard the word, but they were they were offended in it. They didn't, they didn't want to hear this stuff because, why? Because that word was truth and they were living a lie. And they're like, no, no, I'm not just going to own up to the fact that I'm a dick bag and a dirt bag. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm offended at you, All right? And then, uh, so, but before we get into that, let's talk about Jesus's four brothers and sisters. Now, I've talked about this before. But there's lots of churches that claim apostolic succession. And I have to say, a literalist, like fundamentalist, churchianity, um, history, you know, a historical understanding, like that perspective of apostolic succession is literally one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay? As far as making that claim. And we'll talk about this. Apostolic succession is the method and whereby... Now, mystically, there's nothing wrong with the apostolic succession. We do have apostolic succession mystically or esoterically, if you will, right? Through the Spirit, we absolutely do. But there's churches that think that apostolic succession comes from like... There was the linear actual line all the way down to the first bishops. Okay, well, let's pick out a few problems with this. Okay, <laughs> basic ones. You got to ask the right questions. So apostolic succession is the method whereby the ministry of the Christian church is held to be derived from the apostles by a continuous succession, which has usually been associated with the claim that the succession is through a series of bishops. So from Jesus and his disciples, or maybe a few years off, something like that, you basically have a line of, of uh, the, uh, the ministry or the bishops that have been, you know, keeping up this knowledge all the way to today, and they have given it to us, right? Now, the problem is, is a bunch of churches actually claim this, and then they don't agree with one another, which is hilarious, by the way, but... Uh, so um, the Anglican Church of the East, Eastern Orthodox, uh, Moravian, Catholic, etc. Right? One of the one of the um, Lutheran, right? That sort of thing. So, apostolic succession. Basically, the doctrine of apostolic succession is the belief that the twelve apostles passed on their authority. We have the authority now. We're passing on, and this is what the Orthobros claim which is ridiculous. The doctrine of apostolic succession is believed that the 12 apostles passed on their authority to these successors and then these successors gave it to these and this and this and this. And so there's the only one church and that's the church of the Greek Orthodox Church who then passed the apostolic authority onto their successors, continuing through the centuries even to today. And the Roman Catholic Church, of course, they see, they see Peter as the leader of the apostles with the greatest authority and therefore his successors carry on the greatest authority. Okay, so... Think about this, and this is the point that I bring up. If this were true, if apostolic succession was true, and that these bishops were all the way, you could tie these bishops in this church all the way to the 12 apostles and Jesus, right? Well, the Bible itself is telling you that Jesus had four brothers and, and sisters. And of course, we don't know how many sisters. By the way, 
Parabolically, that's the Pleiades. We're not going to get into that today. That's another live stream. Jesus had four brothers and sisters and a mother. And, you know, that sort of thing. And then, of course, 12 apostles. And so my question is, if apostolic succession is true and you guys were responsible for keeping this information alive, the bishops and all that other stuff, then let me ask a few questions. So all of these people that were responsible for holding the authority of the, from the apostles themselves, they didn't keep one single birth date of any of the disciples. Jesus, Mary, we're told in, in the New Testament that we know exactly where Jesus was born, who was there, and that three magi showed up, and even shit that they said. They even said that they followed a star in the east. And then we have all this information, but we don't have when Jesus was born. When did Jesus die? You'll, you'll see you'll see people like Kingdom and Contacts and Brave Believer and stuff like this online, and they'll be like, approximately 33 AD. Wait, what? What? No, apostolic secession should say that you should absolutely know the date. What happened to Jesus' family? Did Mary ever have children? What about Jesus' brothers? Did they have children? Did they get married and have children? What about his sisters? What were their names? Did they have children? What happened to Jesus for the 18 years that he was missing? According to apostolic succession, according to their claims, this is what I said, there would be an actual living bloodline of our Lord and Savior. Meaning, in this sense, right, somebody in that, out of the four brothers and the sisters and all of the apostles, you mean to tell me that none of them had children? Because if Jesus' brothers had any sort of children whatsoever, then there would be a family tree. There would be a family tree. We would know. It's like, oh, but probably has some cousins. And, and so as far as we know, and there's no records of this, you guys kept none of those records. But you did keep records uh, of yourselves. You did keep your own little records, didn't you? So we have no idea of James, Joe, Joseph, Judas, Simon. We don't know. Who are they? Where, where, did they have children? What have, Did their children have children? with the cousins? We should have a family tree that leads directly back to at least the apostles or Jesus' brothers accordingly, right? Somebody had children. That would be like a real-life Da Vinci Code. Spoiler alert, the end of the Da Vinci Code is this chick down here finds out. She's like, oh, from the actual bloodline of Christ, right? That's the, the whole you know, uh, end of the movie, right? That's the, the peak of the movie, that sort of thing. So if that's the case that that you're claiming that there's apostolic succession, then you are responsible for us not knowing what happened to Jesus's family, his sisters, the apostles, what happened to, did they have children? What happened to them? All of it's gone. But you, you, unbelievably arrogant, self-involved, self-righteous group of people, you kept your own shit, didn't you? Oh, we've got Dionysus of Corinth and uh, Irenaeus, and we've got uh, Maximus of Jerusalem, and we've got Aristides and Justin Martyr. They kept all of their own records, and they're all all of their writings. But you couldn't even keep up when the lit, when the Savior of the world showed up in a flesh vehicle and had his family here. You didn't bother to keep any of those records, did you? That's ridiculous. To make that claim is absolutely absurd. If that's the case, if you're if you literally claim apostolic succession as in a historicity sort of way, if the Catholic Church or the, the Greek Orthodox Church are seriously claiming that they are responsible for keeping the history and wisdom tradition of Jesus himself, when you guys certainly don't understand the Bible, we get that now, then you guys are the worst.
the absolute god-awful worst custodians of the divine of divine knowledge who have ever walked the face of the earth ever jesus had brothers sisters we don't even know their freaking we don't even know the sisters names where are the kids where are the children but you can read the church fathers today you can find out but it'd be really cool if we got a family tree because the Bible's certainly telling us that uh, they had one. What's the first thing in Matthew? Remember, what's the first thing you're given in Matthew? A family tree. Verse 1 through 16 is what? Oh, 14 generations. And then 14 generations and 14 generations, which is 42 generations. Why three 14s? Now we'll get into that later. So... They kept the family lineage all the way to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus had brothers and sisters and his mother and all this other stuff. And then whoopsie-daisy. Oops. We just forgot to keep the records. But we did keep them for ourselves. We did keep our own writings. And now you have to bow to us and say that we're the one church. It's ridiculous. It's basically no logo, no logic and no logos going up in the heads of those people. That's for damn sure. You're not asking basic questions. Whence has this man all these things? Let's finish this off. Okay. 1357, and they were offended in him. They didn't like the fact that he was bringing them truth. This is happening. Oh, I don't want to get into that. They were, they were upset that the fact that he was bringing them truth and they weren't living that truth. And so they were upset. And he said unto them, well, a prophet, is, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. What is a prophet? We've covered this before, too. I'm going to finish this up. But a prophet, we all know what a prophet is, a person regarded as an inspired teacher, a proclaimer of the will of God, obviously. Uh, a prophet without honor is basically just saying that, um, that you know, people close to the soothsayer don't want to hear what he says or don't like what they have to, what they, what they have to hear. The basic idea is that people will take for granted the things that they're, you know, familiar with. But ba that's basically what it is. A prophet without honor is an unrecognized seer or predictor. The implication is that, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't have the eyes to see, they don't have the ears to hear, and that's what Jesus is talking about this whole freaking thing, this whole, this whole, um, this whole chapter. Then thirteen fifty eight. Let's finish this baby off, and he did not, uh, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He didn't even he didn't even do any of the work. Why? Because you can't have Christ work in your life if you don't believe. If you don't believe in Christ. Now, when we understand that Christ is what? Where is Christ? Let's think about this. Where is Christ? It's within you. So that power, that son of man, right? That resting place, that place where you're supposed to put the seed, that seventh point, the six around one. How many parables are we doing here? Seven, that's right. You put it right here. When Christ is within here, what are they saying there? Who are you supposed to believe in? Yourself. Then, Christ will do mighty works in your life. And if you believe in yourself, you'll get those wings and you'll fly up to heaven because you'll be a good bird. You'll be a good bird. Thank you guys so much today. I really appreciate everybody that ha that does stop by on Sundays. Um... <clears throat> If you'd like to become a Gabbard, you can become a Gabbard at Subscribestar. You can become a Phoenix Bird, an Aquila Bird, a Cygnus Bird. You can become Tom of the Pete, my freaking bird. Love my Tommy. Um, if you'd like to any donations, we really appreciate it. Once again, we keep going with your support. Uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, 
subscribe, star, obviously, and snail mail, uh, Kevin McNally and 2550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. I just want to say thank you to Content Safe. You're killing it for me. I appreciate it, guys. You get me on BitChute, uh, Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and they're really helpful, especially when I have internet issues. They, they're they on it, so it's really good. So thank you so much, Content Safe. Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. If you don't have the app, you have serious issues. What's, what's your problem? What's your major malfunction? Get the app. On the app are the Sunday sermons. That's right. You can go right there, get the Sunday sermons, and you can learn about our flat stationary plane. And there's a flat earth, and there's a bowl of stars, and there's a there's a point in the center at the top there, and that's Polaris, and it's going to help you understand that you want to get out of this place. Music and Sky, we're doing Music and Sky, Kumiyama, Kuma, Kuyama Valley, August 18th through the 21st. If you can be there, we'd really love to see you. I'm really looking forward to the speech that I'm given. I hope they enjoy it. I don't know. Sometimes they just kick me out of these places, but I think I think I'll do all right. So, and if you do get a chance, go to Flattoberfest. We're hoping that we can be there. Um, we should know in the next month or two. I think if we're going to be able to make it. So, um, but Flattoberfest.com, Flattober, um, FlatEarthFestivals.com. I, I believe is the other site too. October twenty-first and twenty-second in Las Vegas. I know Las Vegas is a shithole, but. It is what it is. It's going to be great because we're going to be, you know, it's going to be some flat earthers there and stuff like that. And of course, the church store, if you'd like to support the work, music and books and Bible and rosary packages and, and all that sort of stuff, okay? Um, this Sunday, Jennifer is going, or today, as you're watching this, is going to do at six o'clock, I believe it is. You can double check the time. I'm pretty sure it's six o'clock. She's going to be doing the live emotional intelligence. That's number, that's number two. It's going to be more basic, um, use foundational stuff. This one, um, and then the next one, though, you know, we'll we'll get going on some more, like you know, in particulars and stuff like that. So, if you'd like to join that, go to the Telegram channel, and you know, you can participate live. It, we will throw it on YouTube later um, if you want to watch it, and that will be uh, that's going to be really great. So, um, really glad that she's doing that. She got a great response for the first one. A lot of lot, you know, got to lay a lot of groundwork before we're moving on, but I think it will be very helpful for some people. Also. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I'm interviewing, um, I think, Stephen Carpenter of the Deftones. Um, I think next Monday. I don't think we've set a date yet or anything like that. I'm pretty sure it's Monday. And so I'll record that and I'll probably play that live on Tuesday or something like that. Jennifer and I are going down to um, St. Louis. And so because it is her birthday um, very soon here. And so we're going to go down and just go out for dinner and things like that. And so I don't think we'll be doing Tuesdays with Marty. Um, not sure. We might leave Wednesday. And if we do, we'll leave Wednesday. Then we'll do Tuesdays with Marty. But um, I'll let you guys know. But we got more content um, in the works for you. Lots more coming up. So that's going to do it for me, guys. Um, no outro song because otherwise they'll ding me and they can't do super chats and all that other stuff it is what it is so all right let's do it guys thank you so much for being here we really appreciate and love every single one of you that shows up um really appreciate it okay may you always keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our lord jesus christ unto eternal life may his grace be with you all amen okay i will see you um next week or i'll see you when i see you and i really appreciate all of you okay that's gonna do it as always many blessings and much love to all